All right, well, good morning. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn. You know where to turn, the book of Acts. We're going to continue on, chapter 1. If you are a guest, again, we have uh, begun a verse-by-verse study through this incredibly impacting and life-changing book of Acts, and I'm just thrilled to be able to walk through this book with you. And i got to say, as a pastor and a communicator, it also thrills me to stand and teach this morning, believing that many of you have been reading through Acts through our reading plan that we provided, and many of you are reading the, are using the journals as kind of a tool, so it's just fantastic to trust and believe. I'm getting up here and sharing from God's Word that you've been reading through and studying through God's Word and trusting God to do a deep work in our life through uh, the Word of God. So if you haven't taken advantage of that reading plan we provided, it's on the app, or you can pick one up out there, a journal to guide you through that as we journey through Acts together. Uh, and personal conviction, I've just got to share with you, I am praying and trusting that after eight to nine months of going through the book of Acts together, that we will be a radically different church. I don't mean we're a bad church. I love our church. I love serving in this church. But I am of the conviction that we cannot be confronted and challenged with what we're going to see in the book of Acts and remain the same. So I'm praying that. I'm praying that for you. I'm praying that for us. Book of Acts, as we've said, is kind of a little slogan. You guys went over it last week, I know. Book of Acts is the story. It's the story of history, of something that took place, but also it's a vision or a desire of what we want for us and for our church and for you and for me. We say it this way, the book of Acts is the story of desperately dependent. We want to be that. And by the way, most of us are not. I'm not. I want to be. I trust myself a lot. We want to be fervently loving. We want to be sacrificially devoted. We want to be radically repentant and boldly proclaiming and globally impacting and joy-filled and a church that is unleashed with the gospel and the world will never be the same, so to speak. That's what the book of Acts is. So we get to peer into that and pray and say, God, okay, we're going to read what you did in the early church, and we're going to plead with you that you do the same in us. The same Spirit of God that was at work in the early, early church is at work in you and me today. So God, do it. Do it in us. So we're going to pick up and we're going to continue on here in chapter 1. We began last week. We're going to pick up in verse 4. So you can grab a Bible in front of you. You can follow along on the screen. (laughs) Obviously one of our screens is not working, so I apologize for that. We think we had a lightning strike this week. But you can follow along. I'm going to begin in verse 4 of the book of Acts. And here we go. So Jesus is gathering them together. That's the early church. And he commands them. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but I want you to wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you heard from me. So Jesus says, you're gathered here. They were gathered about 120 of them there in the early church in Jerusalem. And he says, here's what you're going to do. Wait. You're not going to go anywhere. You're not even going to start the great commission you're not going to start testifying and telling everybody about me yet you're going to wait because something's going to happen in just a few days that's going to be a game changer for you 
So he says, wait. He said, verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What in the world does that mean? So when they had come together, they were asking him. They, they kind of missed that, and they, they were more concerned about something else. The early disciples, they, they were Jewish, and they, like most Jews in that day, had a, a messianic view. It's not a wrong one, it's a right one, that the Messiah was going to come and restore his earthly kingdom, make everything right in the world. So they knew Jesus was the Messiah, they knew he was the promised one, so they're saying, okay, is it time now? <laughs> I mean, we as Israel, we've been under Roman rule for all these years. You can see what a mess everything is. Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore everything and make everything right? Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? Verse 6. Jesus responds, verse 7, he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Don't worry about the times and when all that's going to take place. Right now, something's about to happen in just a few days that's going to change everything for you. And he goes on, verse 8, he says, But you, plural, all of you, all the, all the believers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. All that's going to happen. It's going to be a game changer, and the Spirit of God is coming. And the Spirit of God, whatever the Spirit of God was going to do was so important. He said, don't lift a finger toward the Great Commission until the Spirit of God comes. So everything we see in the book of Acts post verse 8 where we just read is a result of the power and the presence of the very Holy Spirit of God. You see, a church that was desperately dependent upon what? Upon the Holy Spirit. You see, a church that was fervently loving, and that love was not their best love that they generated. It was the love of the Spirit of God flowing out of them. They were deeply devoted, stirred by the Holy Spirit. They had a boldness that was the power of the Spirit. They had a joy. They were a joy-filled people. Why? Because of the presence of the very Spirit of God. And they changed the world because of the impact and the influence of the Holy Spirit of God in their lives. So, for us this morning, we're not going to go on past verse 8. We'll get there next week. We're going to pause, if you will, and ask some very serious questions about the Holy Spirit of God. Now, let's just be really honest with each other here. Room full of people, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different things like that. Some of you in this room, when I even mention the Holy Spirit, you get a little antsy. You get a little nervous, and maybe you're new to Tri-Cities, or maybe you're new to this church, and you say, well, what does that mean for us? Are things going to start getting weird? That's what some of you are thinking. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you grew up as a kid, and... I mean, I guess all of us grew up as a kid, but you know what I mean. Maybe you grew up, and all, all you ever heard was a King James translation, which isn't bad, it's just limiting. But you heard the Holy Ghost, 
And I can remember being a little kid and hearing, remember preachers talking about the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost this, the Holy Ghost that, and a relationship with the Holy Ghost. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want a relationship with a ghost. What are you talking about? And the idea of a Holy Ghost? What in the world? Some of you have a limited, that, that, that's all you maybe have ever heard. Or maybe some of you grew up like me, and you have some past experiences, Holy Ghost experiences, if you will. I remember I grew up in Irwin, and that's an experience in and of itself. But some, someone wanted to take me to a Holy Ghost revival service in North Carolina. And I, I think it might have scarred me. I really do. I, the, the goal that day and what was attributed to the Holy Spirit was, I think, whoever could scream the loudest in the service, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of screaming going on. And man, I left there thinking, that is kind of weird. Maybe some of you have that background. So there's this fear or there's this, this unknown when it comes to the Holy Spirit of God. Maybe you're just indifferent. You're just indifferent. The idea is, well, does it even matter? Maybe your attitude toward the Holy Spirit is kind of like your attitude toward your liver. I'm really glad I got one. I think it's pretty important, but I don't think a lot about my liver. Right? Maybe that's your attitude. Maybe for some of us, the Holy Spirit is no more than a Christian cliche that we throw around. Well, I feel led. Or the Holy Spirit is directing me. And what you're really doing is you're trying to put a Christian spin on what you really want to do. The Holy Spirit of God is so much more than Maybe for some of you, it's just a fog. I mean, you'd like to know more about the Holy Spirit. You read some verses, and you hear the talk about the Holy Spirit, but you really don't. There's just a fog there. What we're going to try to do today, and I'll just tell you my limitations, in one service, one message, I can't tell you everything there is about the Holy Spirit, okay? I'm not even going to try. But I want us to try to be on the same page as we go into the book of Acts of a consistent understanding of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Francis Chan, an author and a pastor, he said this, From my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. It's tragic. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask a few questions. We're going to ask a few questions from Scripture, and here they are, three of them. Number one, what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? Because as they went into the book of Acts, they didn't have Romans, they didn't have the teaching of Paul, they didn't have all that yet. Here's what they had. Jesus for three and a half years had been teaching them, and one of his topics was the Holy Spirit. So as you see these early church in the book of Acts, what they had is what Jesus had taught them. We're going to take a look at that. Secondly, what is the Holy Spirit doing? What is he doing in my life? What is he doing in our church? And then thirdly, how do I rightly relate to the Spirit of God? What does that look like in my life? We're going to attempt to answer those questions this morning before we proceed on into Acts. Okay? You guys ready? We're going to have a Holy Ghost service. Woo! All right. (laughs) Question number one. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? Now, we're going to look at several places. You can go ahead and turn, if you'd like, to John chapter 7. We're going to look at several different passages that are key to this. I'm going to start in John 3. You don't have to turn there. Jesus said this. He said, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Well, Jesus, that doesn't really help a lot, so you're saying the Holy Spirit's like the wind. Can you help us a little more than that? 
The idea is you won't see the Holy Spirit of God, but you will most definitely see His activity. Just like the wind. He goes over in chapter 7 of John, and Jesus says something else very very encouraging for us. Verse 37 of John 7 says, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, listen to this phrase, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And by the way, that's what every human being alive on the face of the earth is looking for today, life. Jesus said, from your innermost being, your soul will be this river of living water. Life. How do we get that? What is that? Verse 38 or verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit. Whom those who believe in him were to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. That's where we are in Acts chapter 1. This is happening. So he says the Spirit is this source of internal life, this river of living water, Jesus says. Okay, help help us a little bit more. Jesus, what what else? Teach us about the Spirit. John 16, if you want to turn there, verse 7. Now throughout the teaching of Jesus, there's a period that he teaches more about the Holy Spirit than any other time. And it's really cool how he does it. So we're going to go to the Thursday night. Before Jesus is crucified on Friday, the next morning, Jesus has gathered his disciples. They're there in that upper room, and he drops a bombshell on them. They've kind of heard about it, but he says again, and here's what he, guys, listen, I'm going away. You've been with me for three and a half years. You've walked side by side with me. You've seen me do incredible things. You've heard my teaching. You've been filled with joy. We've had this relationship. I've been with you for three and a half years, but I am going away. And you can imagine what's going through their mind, right? Where are you going? What about us? I mean, we've sold all to follow you. I mean, we're all in with you, and you, where are you going? It's in that context that he teaches them about the coming of the Spirit. Verse 7, 16, 7, Jesus says, this is an amazing reality. I want you to see one big idea out of this verse. Jesus says to them in that context, guys, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. What? The word advantage means better. It is to your benefit that I go away. For, I do, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go away, I'll send him to you. Now stop right there. Let's be honest. Can you imagine the chatter among the disciples at this point? John, did you hear what he said? He said it's better if he goes away. You've got to think Peter raised his hand and go, Jesus... What are you talking about? You're the Son of God. You're the life-giving God Almighty. You've been walking in our midst for three and a half years, and you're telling us it's going to be better? How could that be? I'm going to give you five or six truths about the Holy Spirit. Here's your first one, truth number one. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus beside us. How can, that, how can that be? Let's keep going. John 14. John 14, verse 16. Jesus continues on. He says this. I'm going to ask the Father, 
And he will give you another helper. That he may be with you forever. So he's continuing the teaching about the Holy Spirit. He says, okay, I'm going to ask my Father, and He's going to give you, in the context of me going away, why is it going to be better? I'm going to, he's going to send you, He's going to give you another helper. Now, if you write in your Bible, circle that word another. That's a massive word. In the original language, there can be two ideas for the word another. Watch, there can be another of a different kind, like I really like dessert, and I really like donuts, but you're giving me something totally, you're giving me truffles. I just have a different kind. I don't want truffles. I really like donuts. I want a different kind of donut, because that's the same kind. Another of a different kind, another of the same kind. Jesus says, listen, watch this. This is huge. He says, my father is going to send one to you just like me. Another of the same kind. Third person of the Trinity. God, Father, God, Son, God, Spirit. But Jesus says, it's like me. Because I'm not leaving you by yourself. I'm not sending you some second-rate counterfeit. I'm sending you one like me. Who is no less God. He's not an it. The Spirit of God is not some amorphous, fuzzy phantom out there in the cosmos. It's not George Lucas of Star Wars, you know, the force. The Spirit of God is not an it. The Spirit of God is a person in His own right, the third person of the Trinity, with characteristics just like Jesus. Listen, you and I can't have a relationship with an it. Some of you wives are saying, really? I've had a relationship with an it for 15 years. I've been, you know, you get it. Okay. You can't have a relationship with an it. The Spirit of God is not an it. He's a person in his own right. He is eternal like God. He is all-powerful like Jesus. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is all-loving. He works for our good. He works for the glory of God. Jesus is saying, guys, I'm not giving you some second-rate person. I'm sending the very Spirit of God. He says, I'm sending you another helper. The word helper means counselor, guide, encourager. The original word means literally to come alongside. He will be with you forever. Verse 17 is incredible. Okay, Jesus, who are you talking about? Verse 17, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it did not see him or know him. But you know him. Hang on. Watch this. Because he abides with you currently. Watch. And will be in you. Prepositions matter. He's been walking with you in your midst. But when the Spirit of God comes, there's going to be a new kind of relationship that the very Spirit of God is not around you. He is in you and you are in Him. The depth of relationship is limiting even in English language to communicate it. The Spirit of God is going to be so connected to you. It is, he is in you. And the disciples got to be going, okay, wow. And then just a few verses later, they go back to, but where are you going? <laughs> they, keep, they keep going back to that. Jesus says, it is better for you that I go away. Second truth, through the Holy Spirit, believers are continually dwelling in the very presence of God himself. J.D. Greer wrote a book called 
Jesus continued, which is a study of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts. Jesus continued, and he makes this quote. Let me read this to you. He says, many of us do not relate to God as if he were a dynamic personal presence in our lives. Anybody confess that's reality? If you were real honest with your relationship with God, you and your heart, it's God is off somewhere. God is distant. He's not really active in my daily life. Or God lived 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus, and I'm just trying to read about him in history. No, 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 no. Jesus is teaching very clearly. A relationship with God is a dynamic, daily, personal relationship with God. And you are in his presence because of the Spirit of God. Moment by moment by moment by moment. Read on. Scripture indicates that God has always desired a close and personal presence with his people. From Genesis through Revelation. He, God, walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. He dwelled among his people in the pillar of cloud in Exodus and Leviticus and the children of Israel. And descended upon the temple, the nation of Israel, of his presence. The Israelites even gave him the name Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there Now, through the Holy Spirit, He, God, is closer than ever. God in us. Maybe you've been in church your whole life and you've heard that reality. I've been in church most of my life. i got to tell you, the last two weeks as I've been studying this, it has messed with me. May we never grow so complacent to the reality that, listen, child of God, you got to hear this. There is never a moment of your daily experience that you are separated from the presence of God. Ever. You say, well, I thought that bad thought and I sinned and he's turned and he's run away from me. You can grieve the Spirit of God because he loves you. But he is never out of your presence. You are so connected to the Spirit of God, child of God. There is no temptation that you will face that you've got to muster up your own strength to fight the sin. The Spirit of God is in you enabling to fight it. And by the way, that's the only way you'll fight it. There is no calling or no opportunity that God sits before you and he says okay big boy go figure it out and pull up your bootstraps and do your best no 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 whatever he calls us to the very spirit of God will be working in us and through us to carry it about for his glory we are never listen ever left to ourselves ever it is better Jesus said that I go away Because I will send the very Spirit of God. Defining reality of believers. Romans 8. I read this earlier. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. So for you if you think this is some paranormal reality just for the super saints. No, no, no. This is basic Christianity. When a person places faith in Jesus Christ and surrenders their life to the person of Jesus Christ, His very Spirit comes to live inside of you forever. And He transforms us from the inside out. Do not relegate Christianity to rules and regulations of saying, well, I made that decision, I walked that aisle, and I'm going to try my hardest to keep the commandments and do what He tells me to do. Okay, we keep the commandments and we do what He tells us to do because He creates a new desire within me and new longings and new affections and new desires. There is a transformation that takes place. Do not relegate Christianity and the teachings of Jesus to morality. Do harder, try better, you'll be the best you can. You know, Positive thinking, no, no, no. God is alive in you. God 
by His Spirit is alive in you. Is that a game changer? It's a game changer of the book of Acts. It's a game changer for a 30-year period. The book of Acts covers 30-year period. And in that 30-year, a group of 120 believers became thousands that changed the world. In that 30-year period, there was one church, the church at Jerusalem, that became thousands of churches all over the Middle East and Asia and Europe. In that 30-year period, you read through the book of Acts and you'll see it. The church faced persecution like they've never faced before. Actually, it's, some, it's worse in some places today. But they faced persecution and they were willing to die for the name of Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit of God had changed everything for them. Everything. Same Spirit of God in the early church is alive in you Son of God, daughter of God. I mean, this is so overwhelming. I can't. It's overwhelming. So let me ask a second question before I get too overwhelmed. What is the Holy Spirit doing? Okay, so the Holy Spirit's active in us, and as the people of God. So what is He doing? And again, I can't be exhausted in this. I'm going to try to stick to what John. Teaches, the teachings of Jesus. There's so much in the New Testament about this. I can't cover it all. Let me show you a few things. Number one, Jesus in John 14, he continues the idea. Jesus, where are you going? It's better for you. He says this, John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Speaking of his resurrection and also speaking of the Spirit of God, what does that mean? Here's your next truth. Number three, the Holy Spirit gives certainty of being loved, redeemed, and adopted into God's family. Now, he doesn't give fake certainty to those who have not received Christ, but to those who have received Christ, he gives absolute certainty that you are loved and redeemed and adopted into the family of God. Romans 5.5 says this, For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. The love of God is not some objective reality out there somewhere. The Spirit of God takes that truth and He makes it a daily moment-by-moment reality in our experience. That's the Spirit of God. Listen to Romans 8. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father, a beautiful word of intimacy and connectedness to our Heavenly Father. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies or speaks or communicates with our own spirit that we are children of God. In other words, the Spirit of God is convincing and He is speaking into our lives through His Word. And for us as believers to know who we are in Christ, our identity as children of God, we don't have to waver back and forth to and fro. We don't have to battle with the insecurities of the world. We don't have to battle with self-talk. We don't have to battle with all the doubts the world throws at us. We can open this book and the Spirit of God as our guide. And the Spirit of God is continually, continually speaking to our lives. You are mine. Man, the Spirit of God is doing that in our lives. He does it through His Word. Continual experiential assurance through the abiding presence of the Spirit in accordance with the Word of truth. How does He do that? John 16. Let me tell you something else Jesus says. 
Jesus says in John 16, 13, what else is the Spirit doing? Listen to this. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak of His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. Truth number four, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is your guide. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. He is guiding us into all truth. The word guide there is a beautiful word. It only appears a few times in the New Testament. Majority of times it appears as one who is leading a blind man along. <laughs> That's us. It's a picture of taking one from where they are to where they could never get on their own. And that is the Spirit of God taking you from where you are and guiding you into something. What does He guide you into? His Word says, guide you into the truth. The Spirit of God is continually illuminating your soul through the Word of God. Watch this, with truth. And if truth to you comes across as an objective fact, okay, 4 plus 4 is 8. That's a fact. That's truth. But that's true. But the truth that we're talking about here is light, it is freedom. It is reality because every single one of us are born in a sea of deception. Every one of you. And you, you believe lies. I believe lies about myself. I believe lies about God. I believe lies about others. The majority of the struggles in your life right now at this very moment could be traced back to some lie you're believing. And the Spirit God, through His Word, is leading you to a place of light, of freedom, of freedom from bondage. He's leading you to that place away from deception. Isn't that that glorious? That's what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. He speaks, verse 13. Jesus says the Spirit of God. He's not a mute. he, He speaks. How does He do that? Verse 13 says He speaks what He hears 2 Peter 1.21 helps us with that. It says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? In other words, the Spirit of God can speak any way He chooses to speak. I'll be honest, through the book of Acts, there's some things that we don't fully understand and don't fit into my box. But here's what I know. The Holy Spirit of God has inspired the living Word of God. He's given us a record of God's speech. And He takes us, when we open this book and we hear this book, the Spirit of God guides us into all truth and transforms us from the inside out. Somehow, somehow we want to separate. Well, we're Bible people. Well, no, 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 no. We're spirit people. Listen, I want to be both. The Spirit of God takes His Word, and He speaks through His Word. Now, some of you might say, wait a minute. Okay, hold on. Pastor Mike, are you limiting the Spirit of God to a book? answer that question this way it was the sovereign choice of God Almighty through the Spirit of God to inspire preserve and give us a living record of divine speech what's more the Spirit of God can speak and lead and guide any way he wants to but we know for certain he will never speak lead or guide in a way that is contrary to what he has already said 
What's more, I'll say this in means of challenge for all of us, it is foolish and arrogant, and I'll just say dangerous, to say God told me or God is leading me if you do not have your life buried in the Word of God. You have no way to know if it's God. You have no means whatsoever and no right to attribute what you're feeling or the leading to God if you have no idea what He's already said. Right? The Spirit of God is your guide. He will lead you into truth and not just facts, that which transforms your very being. That's what He's doing in us. Ultimately, our time's almost up. Ultimately, what is the Spirit of God doing? And you, and, and you don't understand the book of Acts. You don't really understand what God's doing in our lives until we get this. What is the ultimate purpose of the Spirit of God in you and in me? What is He doing with the sword of the Spirit in our lives, the Word of God? What's His ultimate purpose? Jesus said this, John 16, 14. He, the Spirit of God, will glorify me. In other words, sometimes I think some of our, our trouble with the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is not about glorifying Himself. Third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, is operating in our reality and in this world, and His ultimate purpose is that Jesus Christ is put on display. I use this illustration in the first service. That Jennifer and I, we love New York City, and we went to visit New York City a few years ago, and we love being out there in the harbor and at night, you can see, no matter where you are, if you look toward the harbor, you can see the Statue of Liberty. And the reason you can see the Statue of Liberty, even at night, is because there's these massive floodlights under it that illuminate the Statue of Liberty. Those floodlights do not exist for themselves. Those floodlights exist to illuminate the grandeur, if you will, of the Statue of Liberty. That's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God is an illuminator. He, he illuminates God's Word. He illuminates in this world the greatness and the glory of Jesus. So listen to me. Whatever Jesus is doing or whatever the Spirit of God is doing in your life, it is for your good, but ultimately it is to put Jesus on display. Ultimately. You say, why am I experiencing this? Why do I have to go through this? Why does this make no sense? Listen, if you are a child of God and the Spirit of God is living inside of you, you can, get, you can guarantee it is for your good, but ultimately Jesus will be put on display. That's what he's doing. And he is conforming you and he is conforming me. Romans chapter 8, he is making us ever more increasingly like the Lord Jesus Christ. He is actively chipping away anything in your life and in my life that doesn't look like Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 says the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the outcome of what the Spirit is doing is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those attributes. You, know, you say, man, those are, those are characteristics. Yeah, those are characteristics of Christ. He is producing different attitudes, different heart passions, different affections in your life. Listen, you know how you can... <laughs> if you know Christ, you're a follower of Christ, do you know how you came to know Christ? biblically uh well i got up one morning and i figured you know i just need jesus nope 
never works that way. Titus chapter 3 says very clearly, the reason you became a Christian is because the Spirit of God sovereignly chose to work in your heart and He opened the eyes of your heart to see. To see what? Jesus. Salvation is not, I need to try harder, do better so I can have a good life. If that's all you got, you better check your heart. Salvation is, that's the Son of God. The Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 8, we'll get there in a few weeks, he says of his own testimony, he came to Christ, and here's what he says, the Spirit of God revealed the Son to me. And he was so glorious that I was drawn into him, and I had no choice, if you will, but to believe and trust in this glorious Son of God. That's how you came to Christ. That's why evangelism, apart from the Holy Spirit, doesn't work. It's the Spirit of God. You know how you grow as a Christian? You know how you grow? The Spirit of God is working in you, watch this, to reveal Christ to you. In other words, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, we are being transformed into ever-increasing degrees of glory as we behold the Son of God. The Spirit of God is working in you to reveal Jesus. And the more and more you see of Jesus, the more and more you know of the Son of God, the more you become like Him. That's why we gather and we sing. That's why we gather and we worship. Why? We want to behold the Son of God. And one day, watch this, the Spirit of God is going to finish His work in you. It's called glorification. And that's going to, that's going to happen when? When we see the Son of God as He is. One day, the world is going to see Him as He is. And we as believers are going to see Him as And this work of transforming us into Christ, it's going to be done. And we're going to be like Jesus forever and ever. That's what the Spirit's doing. And the Spirit is also actively at work in you, empowering you for mission. Because until that day when Jesus comes, those that know him, we have a heart that he has placed in us that the world has got to know about Jesus. Listen, evangelism doesn't work because the pastor stands up and says, well, you better share your faith. That lasts about 30 seconds until you get out the door, right? But when the Spirit of God has a hold of your heart and my heart, and I am so encaptured in the beauty and the glory of Jesus, I am Peter and John in the book of Acts, and they say, we cannot stop speaking of what we've seen and heard. Try to stop us. You say, well, I don't know how, and I don't know the techniques. Listen, don't hold on to that excuse, because what you really want to do, you'll figure out how to do it. And so will I. So will I. Jesus said this. Here's what the Spirit's doing, and we'll close. John John 15, when the Helper comes, John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, here's what he's going to be doing. He will bear witness about me. What's more, verse 27, and you also will bear witness of me. The Spirit of God working in our hearts will continue to put Jesus on display till we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen in her. Number six, the Holy Spirit empowers believers to speak the truth about Jesus to the world. Whew, that's a lot. Last question, we'll close with this, and it's not going to be as long. It's really kind of a time of response, if you will. Here's the last question. Okay, Mike. Then how do I, day to day, 
moment by moment, relate to the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? I can't give you exhaustive. I can't even give you a list. I can't. That, that's not the way it works. Here's what I can do. I can give you a few words that the Bible uses and trust that the Spirit of God will help you with this. Remember John 7, Jesus said, listen, those who believe in me, there's going to be from their innermost being a river of living water. Life is flowing through them. That's the Spirit of God. It's not an it. It's the Spirit of God. Paul says we can relate to the Spirit of God in one of four ways. Ready? Number one, we can quench the Spirit. As believers, we have the capacity that the Word of God is leading us and the Spirit's prompting us, the Spirit's leading us. to say, And we can just quench the Spirit by saying, I, I, no way, just passive. We can quench the activity of the Spirit. It, Ephesians 4 says we can grieve the Spirit. That's a relational term. You can only grieve those who love you. I can go out and hurt myself. I can go out here and do something stupid. Some of you would look at it and go, well, that's stupid. Those of you that really love me, you'll say, well, that's stupid. But then it'll break your heart because you want more for me. The Spirit of God can be grieved by our sin and our bad choices because He wants more for us and He loves us. So we can quench. We can grieve. Doesn't mean He'll ever be out of our lives. Two other words. Paul said, walk in the Spirit. Walk. He said, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the lust of the flesh. What does that mean? Walk. It means walk. When Peter and John were walking with Jesus, they were in a sense, they were walking with Him. They were talking with Him. They were listening to Him. They were speaking to Him. They were having a relationship. They were having a conversation. They were talking. They were walking moment by moment, day by day, every day. And Jesus said, listen, I'm going off the scene, but you can continue that exact same thing even better with the Spirit of God. You can walk with Him moment by moment. You can listen to His voice. You can talk with Him. You can acknowledge His presence, the Spirit of God. Walk with Him moment by moment by moment by moment by moment. Fourth word is influence. Paul gives a word picture and he says, listen, don't be drunk with wine. And it wasn't about drinking or not drinking. That wasn't the point. The point was, don't be drunk with wine because that's just excess. But be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the word filled means in the same way that wine will control the way you think, the way you talk, the way you act. I mean, you've seen somebody under the control of wine, right? They're just all over the place. It's under control. It, they have it, they're under the control of that. Paul says, Position your lives in such a way that the dominating influence in your life is the Spirit of God. Fill your life with His Word. Fill your life with His people. Fill your life with truth that the dominating influence in your life is not something like wine or alcohol, something like that, but the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God, Romans 8, the flesh will always lead to death Romans 8, the Spirit of God will always lead to life and peace. Walk under the control of the Spirit of God in you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads for a minute? Ask the team to come on up. We're going to sing together in just a second. But I, so I want you to take just a minute right there in your seat where you are. And I, want you to, I want you to think about something. As our team prepares to lead us in just a moment, some of you are here in this room. And let's get painfully honest with each other. You're, 
you're saying, okay, Pastor Mike, I hear that about the Spirit. I, I've been a part of church. I've been baptized. I've grown up in the church. But the idea of being led by the Spirit, the idea of a daily walk with Jesus is foreign to me. I don't think I even have the Spirit. Listen, Romans chapter 8 says, He that does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Christ at all. It may be that this morning the decision for you is to realize, you know what, I've been playing games and I've been playing religion. There's no active presence of Jesus in my life through His Spirit because very simply I've never come to know Him. Never come to know Him. Oh, I've been holding on to all the church activity. I've been holding on to you know, all these different things. I do not have the living Christ in my life through His Spirit. If that's you, the promise we read in John 7 is for you. He who believes in me, the one who believes in me, believe in Christ, place faith in Christ, trust in Christ as the Spirit opens our eyes to see who He is. Jesus, I need you. More than I need my next breath, more than I need any other thing, I need you. I give my life to you. And listen, Jesus says in that moment, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you and changes you, begins to change you from the inside out. Some of you are here and maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years. Right now you'd say, man, I, I'm grieving the Spirit because of choices. I'm quenching the Spirit because I'm refusing to obey or whatever the case is. Or I'm not, the greatest influence in my life right now is not God's Word and God's Spirit. The greatest influence is my own flesh or this or that or whatever it may be. Oh, I want more for you. Walk in the Spirit. You'll not carry out the lust of the flesh. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Father, I pray for our church. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for me, God, that we would know the life and the peace, the, the rivers of living water that come from the Spirit of God within us. God, bring us to a place of repentance. Bring us to a place of acknowledging the reality that we are never apart from your Spirit. And God, those that do not know you this morning, I pray they call out to the name of Jesus and are saved. We love you. In your name we pray.